Earlier this week, Rick Barnes was caught on a hot mic telling some funny stories about referee Teddy Valentine and how he was thrown out of an NCAA tournament game back in 2004 when he was with Texas. And if you know anything about Brendan or me, you know that these audio difficulties that caused us to pick up that conversation would definitely lead us down what could be described best as a Teddy Valentine rabbit hole. Brendan dug up a Seth Davis article from Sports Illustrated from 2013. I went back and watched his famous injection of Bobby Knight uh, from 1998 at Indiana. I believe it was 98. And no one loves a good officiating rabbit hole like me. But let's talk about Teddy Valentine, Brendan. He's a referee who's been famous. And he's been at the peak of his profession. Ref Final Fours kind of got banished to the periphery of the sport. And now he's still calling uh, big games, including one with Tennessee, which has been ranked number one in the country this year. Teddy V. One of our great Twitter threads of the year, by the way, with Teddy V on Valentine's Day. Yeah, I mean, it would be nice if we had more followers on Twitter, so you should follow us at, at DoubleBonusPod. On, on Valentine's Day, I did a, a thread of uh, what we call Happy Teddy Valentine's Day with some <laughs> nice photos of Teddy Valentine. Um, check that out. It's still it's evergreen content, even though Valentine's Day was 10 days ago. Yeah. Um, growing up, it's interesting. I, f- I feel like in the Big East, the three officials that you always knew were Tim Higgins, Jim Burr, and Teddy Valentine. And sometimes they worked the games together. Um and he knew it was a big game when, like, one, two, or or especially three, all three of those guys were officiating. Um, but Ted Valentine has always been kind of a confrontational fella, a, um, kind of a, just see, he, he's a show-off a little bit. And it's presumably, based on the article I read, there's an article, um, I think it was also Seth Davis wrote maybe five years ago on Teddy Valentine. And interesting article, it talks about how he basically has been banned from three different leagues at different times, <laughs> including the Big East. Um and it's because, you know, on the one hand, it's sort of talking about being, being really nice to, like, young referees and kind of taking the brunt of difficulties for them with new coaches. And, but, and then it talked about how coaches really respected him as an official and wanted him to officiate their games because he couldn't be swayed. But um, at the same time, it, he, there are reasons why he's been banned from many leagues, and one of them was the um, this is his attitude, but two, I guess he doesn't really work well with people sometimes uh, as well. Uh, if he had that famous incident with Joel Berry where he turned his back on him and that led to a huge fallout, probably a, a little bit unfair over the top fallout in kind of the blame shame culture that we sometimes have. But yeah, um, but he is probably the most recognizable referee in college basketball, and you know I, I feel like. He for co- he's what he's probably recognizable as as many of the NBA refs. Like I, I feel like the NBA refs that we I used to remember. Maybe I don't watch so much NBA anymore. Like Steve Javi and Dick Bavetta yeah. and those guys are all gone now. And uh, maybe he's recognizable even at that level of some of the NBA refs. Yeah, he's definitely up there. You don't want to be noticed as a referee. It's in a it's a cliche, but you also don't want to increase the um, the confrontation level of these, you know, interactions. And that's something that he doesn't do, for better or worse. Like a lot of referees, they may, you know, be involved, but they always are trying to work the situation. If you talk to them, they're trying to manage everything. It's always about management. There's a lot of, like, horse trading and back swaps that go on that you might not necessarily know about, probably, where, like, they just the coaches and the referees have an understanding. It's all a game. It's just, like, there's under, understandings. But sometimes Teddy Valentine must to be to alienate all these leagues. He probably just takes it too far sometimes, and that's why he's famous, and that's why he's worked at the top of his sport. He's worked Final Fours and Championship Games because he's really good. But that's also why the ACC banned him because he made a huge thing out of the Joel Berry incident a few years ago. So cuts both ways. Yeah, let's see. Right now he's rated on the ref ratings as the 15th best referee in college basketball based on the quality of games he's officiated this year. He's in 69 games. 
the fewest of any. Well, no, there's some that's done fifty something games in the top uh, fifteen. He's right behind Kip Kissinger, who this week in the Providence St. John's game gave Marvin Clark a technical foul while already having fouled out and sitting on the bench. So um, <laughs> that's an interesting uh, little side note there. He's only uh, a point or so behind Kip Kissinger in in. Ken Palm's rating, so he's a chance to pass him. But he did the Duke game on Saturday. Let's look at some of the games he's done recently. He obviously did the Tennessee-Vanderbilt game on, on Tuesday. Wednesday, he did North Carolina State, Boston College, and Raleigh. Then he did Georgia Southern, Coastal Carolina, then Duke Syracuse. And today, he did the uh, UA, the UCF-SMU game. Um, so these guys get around. And uh, and he looks like he's opening a lot of ACC. He did Duke-Virginia, the one in Charlottesville. He did North Carolina-Louisville, the one in Louisville. Um Georgia Tech, he's got some Arkansas, Missouri, there's some SEC games in there. No Big East, though, um, so he's still banned from the Big East, but he does have a, a heavy, heavy dose of ACC. He might be one of the most common ACC officials, if you look at the this uh, his, his referee uh, time this season. So, yeah. anyway, uh, check out the story. There's a story with the hot mic. One note is the assistant next to Rick Barnes, I don't remember his name, when he, when Rick Barnes started talking about it, you hear the assistant kind of say, oh, was that when you were at Providence? I'm just mentioning that because it's good to get into Providence mentioned. He's like, no, I was in Texas. And this is, uh, I think he mentioned like Byron Mouton or someone getting a, an extra uh, technical and kind of in a Dense tournament game against Xavier, I believe was the opponent yeah. um, of that game. Yeah. So anyway, it's been a little bit of a rough week or so for Rick Barnes uh, with two prominent losses on the road and with this hot mic incident not his fault at all it's totally espn's fault and i guess somewhat teddy valentine's fault for the way (laughs) double bonus the rest of the way double bonus as well two free throws both teams will be on the double bonus so we'll have two the rest of the way okay well welcome Officially to episode 18 of the No Bonus Podcast, uh, I'm your co-host Brendan Rocher with my other co-host Tom Borstein. This is a bi-coastal podcast this week. I am podcasting from uh, kind of chilly for LA, uh, Los Angeles, and uh, Tom's in New York. Pac-12 um, country. Yeah, Pac-12 country. I, I was visiting a friend of mine who was actually in from Philadelphia. He was a UCLA alum, and he took his son uh, for this, his son's first time to a UCLA game on Thursday. They went to see UCLA play Oregon State, um, and UCLA won that game, I believe, by one. Um, so he's going to see a game. I'm going to see a game later this week. I'm going to be out in San Francisco. I'm going to see San Francisco play San Diego. Nice. The Dons had a big win, big comeback win at BYU on Thursday to being down 14, but then lost a very narrow uh, game to Santa Clara on last night to the Broncos, which is uh, Herb Sendek's team. Uh, not very good team and not a good uh, result for San Francisco, but I'll see that game later this week. Um, so it's good to be uh, on the podcast, Tom. Uh, for those who don't know us in terms of how to follow us and, and get our podcast, you can download us on iTunes, Apple's, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, Google Play Music. If you have another platform you'd like to get it on, you can do that. Just let us know. And you can let us know by hitting us up on email, doublebonuspod at gmail.com. Twitter, that's at doublebonus pod and then our email our website is oldbonuspod.com so tom how are you doing doing good new york yeah is it it, uh chilly or warm warm and uh cloudy and rainy actually so not too bad Mm -hmm. yeah i had an interesting incident uh do well (laughs) i'll I'll, uh this is not what you're thinking what you think i'm gonna say but uh so i arrived uh friday night in la and um lax LAX. Great yep. airport. It took me, yeah. Never crowded. 
Yeah, it lacks for nothing. Um, so I got into my sister's sister-in-law's place. Um, I was like, I gotta get it. I, I was meeting a friend at ten the next day, and so I was like, I gotta get a long run in. Fellow, it was a long run. So humble brag. I set my alarm for six. Yeah, uh, for six. Uh, so I can get up, eat my energy chew with caffeine, so I can kind of wake my body up, um, and then use the bathroom, etc. Get to the uh, get to the beach, run on the boardwalk or whatever they call it, you know, Venice, Santa Monica, etc. And then get back, shower, change, and then meet my friend um, for coffee and breakfast or whatever. Um, so I wake up at six. You know, I'm like really tired, but it's like I had a long flight. I, I got in kind of late. You know, had my energy chew with the uh, the equivalent of one ca- coffee cup of caffeine um and and i was really it was kind of chilly it's been chilly out here like in the 50s it's actually in the 40s when i started my run on saturday um so i i was looking for um some blankets so i was like kind of getting ready wanting to use the bathroom etc and then i came in so i came back in the bedroom and lied down for a little bit so that's where the blankets were i fell asleep i woke up at like 7 22 i was like okay it's time to go i gotta go i go out in the main room of my sister-in-law's apartment and uh and i'm like man why is it still dark? It's just, it's like 722. When does the sun come up in LA in February? And so I, um, I Googled, I was like, okay, Google, uh, what t- time is sunrise today? And it was like, sunrise in Los Angeles is at 629 AM. And I was like, what? It's 722. And then I realized my phone had not reset to pack to Pacific time. And I actually woke up at 3 AM and, um, I ended up going back to sleep for an hour or so, and uh, I got my run in and met my friend, but uh, it was um, not a great night of sleep for myself or for my wife. I kept waking her up with the various uh, up and downs, etc. So it has not been a very good technical technological trip for you so far, Brendan. We're on borrowed time with your computer, which I bet you has like five and a half hours of power left after you left your power supply at home, and you are, yeah. you're on headset number two, and mm-hmm. another a, a new purchase. So yeah, not a good trip for you. To, and then you then you don't your phone doesn't reset, and you don't have a watch because you don't wear a watch, I think. So you had no idea what time it was. So yeah, not great. Anyway, there was there's been college basketball since we last spoke. Yes, uh, it's, it's, it's my understanding. Um, the big story of the week, uh, even though it happened. Similar to the previous week when the big story was Duke with the big comeback against Louisville on a Tuesday, the big story from the last week was also Duke on Wednesday, uh, where they lost to U North Carolina in a blowout defeat after Zion uh, Williamson missed most of the game after ripping and breaking through his shoe on a, on a stop of a cut um, and having a grade one strain of his knee. He looks like he'll be fine, uh, relatively fine and should come back soon. Um, but obviously, well, let's talk briefly about the game before we get into the the controversy as they say um, <laughs> Luke May was uh, was really really good and obviously without uh, Zion Williamson who'd have probably been the guy to guard Luke May for most of that game he dominated um, that one and North Carolina also beat a very a red hot Florida State team by 18 yesterday but in that in this game against Duke Luke May had 30 points on only 13 for 20 shooting I'm only meaning that's quite good on two pointers 12 rebounds uh, and two assists, actually 15 rebounds, 12 defensive rebounds. So he was dominant. Uh, Cameron Johnson scored 26 points on 11 of 13 shooting on two-pointers. Duke was 65.5% on two, sorry, North Carolina on twos, and a lot of that was easy baskets. Uh, Jack White, a friend of the uh, a friend of the podcast and North Carolina alum, uh, Nathan reached out to us and said, hey, you need to talk about how bad Jack White was <laughs> in this game and how bad he was in general. And he but, wants to uh, know if Jack White's the biggest, the 
if he's the worst player to play significant minutes in a Duke North Carolina game. Uh, that can't be right because Jack White's not that bad. But since like, like twenty he's years, actually been, yeah, he's actually been pretty good this year. He's uh, he's really low usage player, but he's a, a pretty solid interior defender and um, kind of efficient player. But he was totally out outmanned in this game and uh, was not ready for the task of guarding Luke May or really anyone. And he also uh, was over was over five shooting from the field and had two points. Okay. Did not have um, a good game. Yeah, it was not. You know. It, it, it was not. He did not cover himself in glory. Much like another big, another Jack, another big Duke game this year, Duke Virginia, where Jack Salt shot a free throw that hit off the top of the window and and not intentionally either, and missed the rim. So it's it, for for two syllable Jacks, Jack White, Jack Salt, and big games involving Duke this year. It hasn't been pretty. But um, first, any thoughts on the on the game itself? Where. Um, well, one note: It seems like North Carolina played great offense, but in actuality, they only scored 1.01 points per possession. It was Duke's offense at 0.83 points per possession with 20 turnovers um, and eight for 39 shooting on threes. That was the big reason why they lost the game. But do you have any other thoughts on that game before we get into the uh, the Zion? I mean, I, just to talk about Zion on the court, Duke better hope he doesn't get into foul trouble in the tournament because they were lost defensively without him. Carolina, which is just Luke May is just a you know he's a typical good college player who knows how to score around and in, inside in the box. He was dominating down there. Uh, Carolina was a really fast game. They scored 88 points and scored 1.01 points per possession. So full credit to them. I think it's pretty. I mean it, it's a it, pretty good for them to go into Duke, never trail at Cameron and win by 16 going away. Never really have the game being down in the second half. They the game was close at the end of the first half. Duke looked like they were going to make a little run and go in tied, but then Carolina stretched at the half. And we're up, uh, what was it, 42, uh, 32, it looks like. So they, they pulled up by 10 at the half. And it just, it wasn't Duke's day. Uh, Caroline shot 2 of 20 from outside and still won by 16 points. So full credit to them. Duke just is not a good outside shooting team. That's not going to change. They really looked lost defensively uh, without Zion down low. And that's uh, my takeaway. Obviously really impressed with Luke May. Cameron Johnson, also a really good day. 26 points, 11 of 13 uh, from 2. And, yeah, Kobe White was not really a factor for them. They really leaned on May and Johnson, and those are two really good players to lean on. So full credit to them to go into Cameron and uh, and win this game. And even without Zion, it's still a good win. It's not like Duke is lacking talent elsewhere. Uh, you can write this off as, like, not a big indicator of what's going to happen, but Carolina is a dangerous team, and they showed why just flooring it uh, in uh, Cameron without uh, Zion to worry about. And North Carolina is up to sixth in Ken Palm, their highest ranking since they had that terrible loss to Louisville, uh, the 21-point loss to Louisville on January 12th. They only have one loss since then, and that was the Virginia loss uh, on Big Monday, not this past week, but the previous week. If you look at the ACC standings and projections, uh, you know Duke's a team that actually has relatively few ACC titles of late. If you look at um, the Ken Palm era since 2002, um, regular season championships um, – they don't have one at least since 2010. Let's see, did they get a... They shared it in 2010 with Maryland. That's the last time that Duke has shared or won outright the ACC title. They haven't won outright since 2006. And in, and since 2006, last time they won outright, North Carolina has won six outright ACC titles, and Virginia has won three outright ACC titles, along with the only other outright title winner is uh, Miami in 2013, actually, when they had Shane Larkin. Uh, but if you look at the ACC projections now at Ken Palm, 
Uh, Virginia expected to go 16-2. and two. They're 12-2. and two. Uh, they do have actually not an easy schedule. Well, actually, they, they have two easy games and two not-so-easy games. They have home to Georgia Tech, home to Pittsburgh at Syracuse, and um, home to Louisville. Um, so they're seven, they're twelve and two. Expected to go sixteen and two. Duke is also twelve and two. Expected to go fifteen and three. Duke did recover and beat Syracuse on Saturday without Zion Williamson by ten. Um, Duke has at Virginia Tech, home to Miami, home to Wake Forest, and then of course the finish at North Carolina. And then UNC is 12-2, and ready to go 15-3 and three also. And along with the Duke game to finish season, they host Syracuse on Tuesday. They are at Clemson next Saturday, and they are at Boston College the following Tuesday. Um, but let's get into the Zion story, because the minute it happened, you knew what was coming next, and, um, and, it, and it came next, and it came all night Wednesday and all day Thursday, and that was, should Zion sit out? So I, I, one thing I want to say is the Ion College Basketball podcast with uh, Gary Parrish and Matt Norlander, you know, generally speaking, I think it's a really good podcast. And, but sometimes it can get annoying with Gary Parrish complaining about people complaining about his top 25 and one or <laughs> Gary Parrish bringing everything back to Memphis. But their episode they had after this incident, it was Thursday night, was one of their best that I've ever heard of theirs. Just top, top to bottom. It wasn't just about this, but it was about this. It was about Gary Parrish getting into an argument with Trey Young on Twitter because <laughs> Trey Young said that Zion should, should, should sit out. It, they actually had a, they talked about the LSU story about the player who was murdered uh, before the season, and Matt Lerner did a story on that, and that was interesting as well. And then they also talked about Jim Beheim, who we won't probably talk about much more, but he struck and killed um, uh, a pedestrian, I guess, in a sense. It was on a highway, a person standing on a highway. Um, not It wasn't his fault, um, and, he, and he handled the situation really well, but Gary Parrish actually has a similar incident in his past. So I would say, listen to that podcast. I thought they had really good perspective on the Zion thing and everything else. The only thing that I will add is, uh, one, I think also Seth Davis had a good calm, and basically, there's not actually that much risk from Zion coming back, assuming he's not severely injured once he's healthy and and cleared to play. There's not that much risk of him. The cops uh, are coming for you, Brendan. Yeah, we got uh, <laughs> the cops are coming for me, and also I'm tracking the package for my uh, my charge. It looks like it's out for delivery. It's six stops away, so uh, it's right now in Inglewood, so it's coming. Um, <laughs> so Keep us let's see. Yeah. Um, so uh, okay, I'm recording on Sunday afternoon out here in LA, Sunday evening in uh, in New York. In case you're wondering what has happened and what has not happened in the world of college basketball, it's, it's pre Oscars. Let's put it let's put it that way. Yeah. Um, so. Uh, so Zion isn't actually risking that much in sitting in in playing in part because, like literally, I think almost literally, anything short of reconstructive knee surgery or an amputation, he's going to be the first pick in the draft. See, I disagree with that. I think he could. Okay, fall. okay, let's hear it. Paul George, whose shoes he wears, by the way, broke his leg like playing basketball. Gordon Hayward broke his leg playing basketball, and then if he if he blows his ACL and is out until March of next year or February of next year. And there are other good players in this draft. And there are other good players on his team. I think that the idea that Zion will not fall from number one is, I think, I think that's a little too uh, short-sighted. I think that he could fall from number one. If he has a major injury, I think it could scare teams off. Whether it's the right decision to scare whoever gets the number one pick off is questionable, but he definitely could fall from number one. R.J. Barrett could definitely pass him if Zion Williams plays. Now, is it really worth? Is it really that big a difference whether it goes number one and number five? I think it's like $5 million guaranteed, and he's still going to get all his endorsement deals? No, but there is a risk that he's gonna, that he could fall, I think. And so I think that shouldn't be poo-pooed. But, okay, okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm glad that we have a little back and forth that we're not, yeah. not entirely well, on the same yeah, page. Yeah. 
It's, yeah. it's a little boring. You know, Tom and I see alike on a lot of things, but it's it, well, yeah. not on all, everything. But yeah, uh, not we, everything. Uh, we get those everything. off the podcast. But yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, so, two. You, I, I think some points that were made and made appropriately by Seth Davis is that you know you can also get hurt if you're going to try to stay in shape and get ready for like NBA workouts and get ready to play in summer league between now and then. You're going to have to work really hard in, in workouts as well. And there might be controlled situations, but at the same time, there is risk associated with that. And players get injured in practice and workouts all the time, um, not just in games. Um, but I think that the – and one other thing is, you know, obviously he, there's a lot of ri- pot, there's risk or there's reward in, you know, his increased notoriety. Obviously, he's become very famous. How much more famous can he become from now? I'm not sure. But, like – the value of like continuing to win in March and going at the Final Four and becoming even more and more famous. He's already one of the top, more famous, most famous basketball players in the world, so maybe there's not too much upside there. But I think my biggest issue is it feels like the generation that might be my age and a little bit younger, I'm in my mid to, I guess now, mid to late 30s, um, the folks who are in there maybe to late to, mid to late 20s or early 30s are very much focused on... Um, the, the importance of experiences. It's not about acquiring things. It's about acquiring experiences. You know, the, the, the notions of YOLO and FOMO have come out of this generation. And yet when it comes to Zion Williamson in this decision, because Zion playing or not playing is a proxy for people's opinions about amateurism, they basically lop this onto the debate. And so basically it's like he's not getting paid by, the, by Duke or the NCAA He's being exploited, and therefore now this is a reason for him. He can stick it to the NCAA by sitting out. Is kind of what they're saying, I think. And yes, there is some risk, and there's also some reward for him to stay. But I think that the same group of like generation of people who say this sort of thing are the same people who say it's all about the experiences you you get. You want to get great experiences. Well, what's a what are cooler experiences than continuing to play college basketball at Duke on a great team with your friends for the rest of the year, potentially going to the Final Four, playing the NCAA tournament, um, you know, being the big man on campus. And that sort of thing. I, you know, I guess if he was injured, he could still go to class. But I'm assuming he would like leave school. Uh, so I think that that like it's a little bit. I wouldn't say hypocritical. It's not quite that far. But I think it's a little bit not under, seeing the full picture of like the experiences you get in your one year at college. If you're Zion Williamson, are experiences you won't be able to get at any other point in your life. And there's value in that, even if it's not necessarily monetary value. And even if you're risking some monetary value potentially, although I think the risk is not that high, although it is still there by continuing to play the value you gain through the experiences that are not again not monetary necessarily but life experiences are uh i think being undervalued because it's only being considered as part of an economic argument i agree and i think his benefit like i think he's benefited from playing at duke and of course he should be paid and of course duke has benefited more from him financially than he is but he is marketing value has gone through the roof because he's been the face of the sport since basically the first night of the season and that wouldn't have happened if he had been if he had gone to the nba and played like if you were on the knicks this year like yes he would have been the talk of new york but the knicks stink if you had been on the suns this year whoever had the top pick last year um they stink they he would just been another guy in the nba who's like a star and waiting, but he still is not going to take over a sport and dominate the conversation like he's done for college basketball. So yes, he should be paid by um, the NCAA in some form. Yes, Duke is making money off him and exploiting him. Yes, uh, it's understandable to why people would say he's risking a little to stay there. I don't think he's risking that much at this point. Uh, but yes, I can see why people would say he's risking something. And yes, you could see why a competitive person who wants to be at the pinnacle of a sport would want to stay and be reasonable in staying and playing at Duke University for the rest of the year, as Billy Pack would say, Duke University, for playing the, for the rest of the year and taking a team deep into the NCAA tournament as 
the prohibitive favorite. I think I saw the odds on, according to ESPN's BPI, it's 28% if he's healthy for Duke winning the national title, which is very high for a team entering a single elimination 68-team tournament. So it's totally understandable why he would want to play and i just don't understand i just wouldn't i would say it's a little short-sighted by people say you should just shut it down it's like you don't understand like what it means to him and obviously it means something to him for him to be playing a duke and it just it's, i agree it seems a little it's a little ridiculous to say just shut it down basically to save yourself possibly five million dollars that's all yeah yep okay well let's move on um what do you got for us to lead us off on your side of the of, uh, again the the, the segment is called yeah. six is good one down really five to go yeah where six is good uh, I want to talk about LSU beating Tennessee in overtime yesterday which is Saturday uh, crazy game another overtime game for LSU they've played six overtime games appropriate for the segment six is good they're four and two in those games um, they had a, a tip in by Bigby Williams with. Uh, like 10 seconds left. Tennessee goes down the court. No timeouts. This game ended really fast as far as the coaches not calling timeouts. Uh, Tennessee missed a shot. There was a battle for a rebound, and Grant Williams committed a foul going for an offensive rebound. Really a not smart play. Um, depending on which Kentucky blog or whatever pre- article you read, there will be some arguments that Grant Williams flopped, which is funny. Then flopping helped get him called for the f- foul. It was definitely a foul. It was a stupid play. And then Javante Smart hit two free throws with 0.6 seconds left, and LSU beat Tennessee in overtime. So LSU now is uh, really uh, in good shape, though they did lose to Florida uh, earlier in the week in overtime, or, of course, um, so Florida's won four straight. So the SEC, we got Kentucky, which blew out Auburn right now, who has not literally not beaten anybody of note all year. Um, we have LSU, and we have Tennessee, which has now lost two of its last three games. They did beat Vanderbilt this week, Brendan. You said they lost two straight, but they've lost two of three. Um, So we have basically Kentucky, LSU, and Tennessee projected to go 15-3 and and finish in a three-way tie atop uh, the SEC standings. Um, Before I – there's one other story in the SEC, which is really not basketball-related, so we'll save that for a second. But I don't know. I think that LSU is just – I think Kentucky is the best team of the three, and I think LSU proved that they're right there with Tennessee – um, they play a lot of close games. They're a fun team to watch. Uh, and this was a really stupid foul for Graham Williams at the end of that game. Yeah, LSU now is second in the SEC in offensive efficiency in conference play behind only Tennessee. Um, their defense is the worst of these top three teams right now. So, you know, the top three in the SEC are all 12-2. and two. Um, And the, they're all projected to go 15-3. and three. So we could end up a three-way tie. Uh, Tennessee plays Kentucky one more time. Uh, Tennessee's had this, the easiest, still had the easiest schedule in the conference so far this year um, in terms of conference play. Uh, they are at home to Alabama, at Missouri, at Texas A&M, home to Georgia. Uh, so that's a fairly easy schedule. That's, sorry, that's that's not their schedule at all. That's South Carolina's schedule. You're not even close. So, <laughs> I was going to yeah. say, that's not what I saw. I see they have three <laughs> games left. <laughs> yeah. So Tennessee has a really tough schedule. I thought they did, and I was like, wait a second. I remember last week talking about how tough schedule was going to be, and then looking this week, I'm like, wow, they have three mediocre, three bad teams and one mediocre team. Now they have Mississippi on, at Mississippi on Wednesday, Kentucky at home on Saturday, Mississippi State at home the following Tuesday, and then at Auburn the following Saturday. Auburn got annihilated by Kentucky yeah, really, over the just, weekend. Yeah, show, please, show up. Like, that's They're a really still bad fo- somehow 14th in Ken Palm. I'm not yeah. sure how that really works. but um, They played a tough uh, Yeah, LSU has two A games left. They're home to Texas A&M, then at Alabama, at Florida, and home to Vanderbilt. So not too tricky. They might end up with the easiest schedule from um, for the season in terms of the SEC conference play. And then Kentucky has uh, Arkansas at home, at Tennessee, at Mississippi, and home to Florida. 
Um, so I guess you'd say advantage LSU if they can f avoid slipping up. Um, but they do have that tough the tough stretch back-to-back -back at Alabama and at Florida. The other two games should be fairly simple wins. Um, you know, that's probably SEC is, is doing pretty well. Uh, you know, I, I think the SEC in general is a little bit overrated this year. There's articles about how it's back, or, or I don't even know what back means because SEC has never been one of the best two, usually, conferences in college basketball. It's still ranked fourth by a mile at um, – it's a big gap between the ACC and the Big East. That the SEC fills that gap in fourth, but the top three are good. Tennessee's lost to both the other top three in the last week, so that's that's kind of the story. That the Volunteers, who were first in the country, are now ninth in Ken Palm, and uh, and have now lost to LSU and Kentucky and in back-to-back -back weekends, not back-to-back -back games. Um, yeah, yeah. Kentucky's gonna be out without Reed Travis, uh, who injured his knee against Missouri. Uh, but just seems like just for a couple weeks, it's not as bad as people thought. Calipari seems very happy that it wasn't an ACL. Um, so good for um, good for Kentucky and good for Reed Travis there. They are looking like the best team here. They're up to now fifth in Ken Palm, I believe. So they are playing very good basketball. Uh, Auburn, just to go back to what we said, like how they are still ranked 14th. They have nine losses this year. They've lost to Duke on a neutral. They lost to NC State away. They lost to Mississippi away. Lost to Kentucky at home, South Carolina away, Mississippi State away, LSU away, Mississippi at home, and Kentucky away. So a lot of those losses you can see are not at home, so that probably helps them. But really their best win is they have two A wins. Home to Florida, who we know is uh, a very confusing team. They're right on the bubble. They've won four straight. And Texas A&M, who stinks. So really not a great resume for Auburn. And, you know, they're one of the teams I thought were going to be exciting. Their offense is obviously very good. Their defense is just... Uh, whatever, except for forcing turnovers, and I don't know. It's, they're definitely, I don't know, they're going to be somewhere in the, you know, they're going to be a dangerous team in the NCAA tournament, but it's kind of crazy they haven't beaten anybody all year uh, despite their high ranking. Like They've had opportunities too, so, but they haven't beaten Mississippi, they haven't beaten LSU, um, so... Yeah, yeah. They just they don't take good shots. Um, for they're a pretty good defensive, offensive team, but they they take some bad shots, and I think that that is a problem a lot of times in close games. You know, I'm I'm guessing their luck ratio or their luck rating is pretty bad. Yeah, it's three thirteen in the country. Luck is basically a measure of how well you do in close games. Um, so despite Auburn winning both of its overtime games, uh, in the other games it's played that have been close this year, let's say five point games, they lost Mississippi, they lost to LSU. They lost to South Carolina. They lost to Kentucky. Um, and let's see, they lost to Duke by six. Um, so the, so basically they're they're 0-6 in games by six points or less, except for the two overtime games that they won against UAB and Xavier. I mean, you look at it. Bryce Brown, he takes a lot of bad shots at times. Sometimes they go and sometimes they don't. And then, you know, Jared Harper, kind of the same thing. That's their backcourt. And... Uh, and that can be a problem when you know you're not like a shutdown defensive team. Although they, they're fourth in both offense and defense. Yeah. And the other thing I want to touch on with the SEC is the Mississippi protest by the players. I think it ended up being eight of them knelt during the national anthem. Uh, there was a pro-Confederate protest on the campus at Oxford on the later late this week leading into this Mississippi game. I don't know how that's a thing. Pro-Confederacy. Yeah. Like what? Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know what that deal is. Obviously. <laughs> So, I was uh, upset once when I was when I realized that my hotel was on Jefferson Davis Highway somewhere. I was like, "What is this?" I don't understand how this is still a thing, but it goes. To, and Kermit Davis, who at the beginning of the year when he was hired, 
said like we're gonna have players respect the flag and stand for the anthem and then obviously after this happened he couldn't very well say no they should stand for the anthem and not protest a confederate rally but it just goes to show i just understand how the confederate nonsense is still a thing and it there is some of it in mississippi the sec and the ncaa will not hold championship events in mississippi because the confederate flag the confederate album emblem is still on the state flag which is insane and Ole miss itself is not actually what mississippi it's not a mississippi reference so much as it is a what the slaves used to call the matriarch of the plantation so whenever you see Ole miss on a tv graphic or in a news story it's really perpetuating a pretty racist uh, situation so maybe mississippi should look at it and take a look at, and also their team's named the rebels so <laughs> you can see why there might be some pro-Confederate uh, p- protests out there. And it just seems like it's just like everyone just kind of goes with it because it's Southern heritage, but it's more than that. And you can see why, we, I can see at least why it would upset so many people. Yeah, I think over the last couple of years, we've we've debugged the idea that con- the Confederacy or Confederate pride is not about racism or slavery. Um, we don't have to get into a whole political thing at this point, but... Um, but, you know, when I see, yeah, I, I'm going to leave it there. It's, it's, it's a mark of racism. It's insensitive. Uh, and it's something that you, especially at a, at a university like University of Mississippi, a large p- proportion of a lot of the black students that come on that campus are going to be athletes. They're going to be recognized on the campus and um, they're going to be like, they're going to be objects. There's, you know, these basketball players are six, six foot, whatever, you know, six foot to six foot, 10 six foot 11 black people on a campus where there's a Confederate protest going on. So they really can't avoid being part of it. Um, I guess they could have just done nothing, but they still would have been on a campus where this is happening. So yeah, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's, these kind of things happen, I think in large part to instigate and maybe even to instigate things like these. But if you don't, respond then is that placating is that tolerating is that you know neville chamberlain-y although i think neville was actually a little giving a little slightly bad rap if you look into it in depth but we have to go down that rabbit hole i do Um, want to say one other thing the stars and bars is not the confederate flag what we know is a confederate flag the stars and bars was the first flag which was a blue field and three stripes and it was too confusing it looked just like the united states flag the union flag so they switched it to the x pattern that we see but i've seen a lot of stories refer to it as the stars and bars and it's not that so i just want to get that out there for all the uh, civil war buffs out there but yeah. i agree with what you said about mississippi on a more serious note anyway yeah i um and yeah i i know that uh, shelby foot has come under uh, some scrutiny for his influence of the ken burns civil war documentary but i do think that shelby foot's writings are useful when it comes to uh a reading about it it's just in depth and and there's other good writing about uh about the civil war obviously and um killer angels one of the great historical novels uh, of all time uh, about the battle of gettysburg very good uh, i highly recommend that one um two straight books it's two tre- two straight pods we've talked books brandon we should make this a regular yeah. segment so gettysburg segue is in where pennsylvania that's Correct. right and so is the villanova university um and Villanova is in a weird spot right now. They seem like they're really coming together and playing well. Um, and then they've had this very strange stretch. Like, okay, So they were 8-4 and four after losing at Kansas in a close game. And then they rolled off 11 straight, including 10 and known the Big East. Then they lost a one-point game at Marquette being down and coming back. And then they 
subsequently blew out Providence. And the game actually was pretty close for 35 minutes. Like, okay, they're 25-11-1 in conference. And the rest of their schedule wasn't easy. They had three pretty tough games in a row on the road at St. John's, at Georgetown, at Xavier. But those are also, Georgetown and Xavier, two of the poorer, like bottom half teams in the conference. And yet they've lost all three. Um, this is coming after losing to Georgetown by 12 on Wednesday and then losing to Xavier by 12 today. They're now 11-4 and in conference. And they've lost three straight games for the first time since 2012-2013 when they lost at Syracuse home to Pittsburgh and at Providence in January of 2013 and their next game is against Marquette at home a a team obviously they've lost to already and and the favorite now to win the Big East regular season title they have and Villanova has not lost four in a row until uh, since February of 2012 when they lost South Florida uh, Notre Dame in overtime Connecticut overtime in Georgetown in consecutive games late in that Big East schedule Um, a big part of this the Villanova uh, slide has been the shooting. They shoot a lot of three-pointers, a, an absurd amount of three-pointers. I've talked about this before. They're second in the country in three-point field goals attempted per 100 field goal attempts. It's 54% of their field goal attempts are three-pointers. That's, uh, again, second in the country. And Shout out to Savannah State. Had, yeah. yeah, Savannah State. Yeah. If, you're, uh, if you're ever in uh, that beautiful city that uh, Sherman marched <laughs> to, um, and gave as a, as a gift to our uh, 16th president, Abraham Lincoln, for Christmas in 1864. Yeah. So uh, shout out to Savannah. Hope, hope everything's going okay over there. Um, but Villanova is not shooting well in three-pointers. Uh, they shot 10 for 36 against Xavier. That's 28%. 9 for 38 against Georgetown. That's 24%. 11 for 35 against St. John's. That's 31% in their last three games. And in all three games, they shot way more three-pointers than two-pointers. They've shot, uh, if I do the math on the fly, 69 two-pointers over the last three games. And they've shot 109 three-pointers over that same stretch, which is kind of absurd and a little bit of overkill. Um, and, and because they haven't hit their three-pointers, they haven't had a backup, and they've scored... They only scored 89.7 points per 100 possessions in their last game, which is their second lowest performance of the season. The only one the worst was that Michigan debacle in November. So Villanova's, we thought maybe they were getting to the point where they were going to make some, uh, be, make some, create some trouble, wreak some havoc. I don't know, make some noise. There's, there's something in there um, in March, and that, and now uh, they're probably going to lose the Big East by a couple games to Marquette, and their seed is dropping, and it looks like maybe. Uh, Villanova is not really going to end up putting it all together this year. I don't know what you think. Yeah, I mean, they've had, these are all road games. They've played, they've had a tough schedule as far as home and away. Four of the last five games, all the, lo- of the all those losses have been on the road. They played that Marquette game a couple Saturdays ago. Um, they had that furious comeback and then still lost. And their, their shooting is just insane. Like, they were so good last year bombing away, and they think they can replicate it. I think this year they just don't have quite as many weapons off the bench as they've had in years past there down near in the high 200s in bench minutes this season and that's tough when you rely on shooters if you have so many shooters you have more options and they don't have those options this year uh they should clean up their shot selection i I, again i'm not one to tell jay wright what to do but they're a very good two-point shooting team so they should just work a little bit harder maybe to get some higher percentage shots it's pretty clear they don't have the shooters um um that they've had in years past and they should just work it a little bit more inside uh they finished now they have another tough game coming up they have they don't have the easiest end to their schedule here they have marquette at home 
then home to Butler, and then at Seton Hall to end the season. So not getting any easier for Villanova. It's We thought we were so optimistic um, after uh, that went on a long winning streak. I guess that Creighton game, that overtime game they won where they shot terribly, should have been a warning sign. Yeah, and but, even the Georgetown game right after that at home, yeah. they really didn't play very well, uh, but they were able to win because Georgetown's offense was very poor. Uh, in that game, they only shot 9 of 31. That was kind of the beginning uh, that and the Creighton game of their bad stretch of shooting. They only really shot well once since, and that was the Providence game at home. And that's it. since basically the whole month of February. It's been one, two, three, seven games. They've lost four of them, and they've shot well in just one of them. I think, th- but just as they're going to keep shooting threes, they're not going to completely go off it because they really can't reinvent themselves this late in the season. So I think they will be a dangerous team in the tournament. They could get hot, and like I wouldn't necessarily want to face them because you're going to play the three-point lottery against them and they may beat you and you may lose that lottery. So they're dangerous. I wouldn't be surprised if they take out a top team in the tournament, but at the same time, uh, it's not looking like they're moving in the right direction right now, unfortunately, for Villanova fans. Yeah, just a couple more notes on the Big East. Um, St. John's had a very poor loss at Providence. They played really poorly. Shamari Pons looked, looked bad. Again, Marvin Clark, I mentioned, he fouled out early and got a, and then got a second technical and was ejected early in the f- second half. And, and Providence actually won that game by 19, and that is closer than the than the actual play on the on the court. But St. John's came back, and Shamori Pons played well, and they beat Seton Hall on Saturday. So St. John's is still looking like a likely tournament team, whereas Seton Hall lost that game to St. John's on the road, but also lost a one-point game to Xavier at home. Xavier now is actually becoming a very dangerous team. They've won four straight conference games. They've gotten to 7-8. and eight. I don't know if they're on the radar for the NCAA tournament because they really don't have any quality wins, except for the, the Seton Hall road win is their best win of the season. Um, but they are at least playing good basketball. Um, Marquette continues to win and is now a heavy favorite to win the, uh, the league title. Uh, they've won four in a row, including wins um, at home against Butler by 10 early this week and, and at Providence um, by uh, 18 on Saturday. The Friars couldn't follow up their good performance against St. John's with another one. Marquette has the number one defense in the Big East in conference play, um, and that's a big surprise compared to what they were last year where they were dead last. And so that turnaround, and they have Marcus Howard and Sam Hauser, and Sakari Adams played really well. So Marquette is clearly uh, the best team in the Big East at this point. Uh, Georgetown was actually looking in the bubble discussion, but then they were not unable to go on the road and win at Creighton, and they've now lost four of six. Um, so it, it does look like maybe the Big East will only be a three-bid league this year unless a surprise happens. Uh, Marquette, Villanova, St. John's may be the only NCAA tournament teams in the rest of the league. Um, There's four teams picked to go 8-10 and 10 by Ken Palm right now. Maybe if one of those teams sneaks into 9-9 nine and nine or 10-8, and eight, they get in. Those four teams, uh, I, we mentioned all of them at some point, Seton Hall, Xavier, Butler, Georgetown. Um, but all of them have at least 11 losses, and Xavier's 15-13. and 13, So it might take more than um, – actually, it's five teams. Creighton's also picked to go 8-10, and 10 and they're 15-13. and 13. So the Big East is – it's not a good year for the Big East, and if Villanova's recent play, it's looking less likely that it's going to have a march – uh, to make up for that with the top teams. Uh, so it's just kind of a, a wash of a year and, and come back next year after they lost all those good players from the the good season they had in 2017-2018. Can you imagine if Xavier sneaks into the first four? Everyone's watching that game on True TV. They find out that there's a player named Zach Hankins who goes by Hanky McSpanky, and they're playing a, basic, a virtual home game in Dayton, Ohio. If they somehow sneak in there... Uh, if they win out, do you think they'll get a chance at that? Because they're not on the bracket matrix at all right now. I did a little control F for Xavier. They're not even in consideration. Do you think they have a shot if they win out? 
I think if games. they win out, they do because look at their schedule. They're going to be playing at St. John's and at Butler and then home against St. John's in the yeah. last three games of the season. First of all, how can they play 15 conference games <laughs> in a, against nine teams and not once play St. John's in that stretch? That's kind of dumb. But if they do win all three games, I think they're in good shape. I mean, even Providence. Providence is terrible. They're the worst offensive team in the conference. They have not even had very many good wins this year. And I woke up Saturday morning, and Bracket Guy Dave, from who's one of the most talented, I would say the best bracketologist in the country, he had his seat update after Friday's games, and Providence was like in the, the first 12 out or something, which is was absurd. I, I t- tweeted at him, and I said, <laughs> well, I, I'm just very surprised to see Providence on here. You think they need to win out to have a chance to get back on the, at the cut line? He's like, they might have to win out, but they can start with Marquette today and go from there. Obviously, they didn't beat Marquette, but the fact that Providence is under consideration – and they're not good at all, and they haven't even – they even have bad losses. They lost to Wichita State in neutral court and UMass at home, and they were in the mix. You know, I put nothing past a, a teams this year. And a team like Xavier that's won four straight, including in that stretch, Creighton, who's in the bubble conversation maybe, Villanova, who's obviously going to make the tournament at Seton Hall. Um, they don't have quality wins. They didn't play a – they played a decent non-conference schedule, but they didn't really beat anyone in it. Their best win was neutral court win over Illinois – uh, out of conference, um, they had a very close loss to Auburn in overtime. Um, so, I mean, they're not bad. I watched them in person. They're not they, bad. They, they they're not bad. They move the ball on offense. Uh, when they sh- they're not a good shooting team, but when the shots fall, they can be very tough. Ty- Tyreek Jones and Spanky uh, Hanky McSpanky uh, Zach Hankins are pretty good. Um, really tough to guard if they play both together at four and five. Providence had a really tough time guarding both of them they could guard one of them with their center whether it's nate watson or khalif young but then they have to put someone like a, a wing like isaiah jackson or alpha diallo on the other one and and, and tyree that's usually tyreek jones and he just started dominating they had to like sub guys out and go zone um they, they make a lot of mistakes in general uh they're eighth in the big east in turnovers um but i mean they're playing good basketball so we'll see what happens travis Steele in his first year starting to had things come together. They were three and two in conference, then they lost six straight, and now they've won four straight. So let's right. move on from the Big East. It's it's actually weird that we talked about them that long, um, but huh. it, not that weird. You're a Big East fan, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. true. Yeah. What do you got for us next? Uh, let's talk about the biggest game of the weekend. I was wondering if Michigan, Michigan State were the last two conference teams to play each other this season, but obviously St. John's and Xavier have not yet played, so that is uh, not the case. But Michigan State went into Ann Arbor today and won 77-70 with an ex- excellent second half uh, to really take control of this Big Ten race um, that is shaping up pretty nicely. Uh, Michigan State was playing without Nick Ward, but still really took care of the basketball. Michigan's a good defensive team, but they don't force turnovers. So Michigan State had only six turnovers, three of them by Cassius Winston, who had 27 points. Kenny Goins had 16. Matt McQuaid had 13. Xavier Tillman had 14. Matt McQuaid got yelled at a lot by Tom Izzo. Uh, Tom Izzo was very angry during this game. Um, uh, he's, he's, you know, he's, you can tell why he's hoarse when you do hear interviews because he's screaming at his players the whole time. Uh, John Beeline was also fired up, but Michigan... Uh, his defense has been very good all year, but allowed Michigan State to score 1.24 points per possession. This is a very impressive win uh, for Michigan State, which trailed. But it was a very close game throughout. I think it was probably played within, a, I don't think any team had a double-digit lead uh, in the entire game, at least down until down the stretch. Um, so a big win for Michigan State. I think they may be the they're looking like the best team in the Big Ten. And it's I mean, good to see. Michigan has really struggled lately. They've been a 500 team, I would say, the last few weeks. Um Maybe that's a little harsh. Um, since February 1st, they are 4-3. and three, So, yeah. Uh, losses to Iowa, Penn State, and now Michigan State at home. 
Um, so yeah, Michigan State looking like they're in control, and I know they're injured and banged up, uh, but they're trying to position themselves as legitimate national title contenders, and a win at Michigan is definitely impressive. Jimmy Dykes on the Virginia Tech Notre Dame game yesterday was talking about the list of teams. He just started naming teams at first, and but he explained this is the list of teams that he thinks has a chance to win the national title. He named North Carolina, Virginia, Duke, Tennessee, Kentucky, Gonzaga. That was his list. He said no one in the Big 12, and then his partner was like, no one in the Big 10? He's like, no one in the Big 10. Uh, they didn't even mention the Big East, but I'm not going to get into that. Uh, the Big East is having a down year. Um, but yeah, I, I I think it's hard to say that the winner of the Big Ten is not a legitimate national title threat. Michigan State, number four in Ken Palm. They're a top ten team in both offense and defense. Um, they're first in the Big Ten in offense and conference play, third in defense. Uh, Michigan's still number one overall in the country in defense, and yet Michigan State ripped them up even though they two of their best players are not playing. Now, Josh Lankford's not coming back, so that doesn't really matter from national championship contention, but Nick Ward may be back at some point. Um, in the next three, two to four weeks. I think he said three to five weeks at first, and he's been out a week or so. So um, we're, that's look putting us bas- right around the first, second weekend of the NCAA tournament. Uh, of course, guys come back, and you don't know how fit and fresh they're going to be. Uh, it's a hand injury, so he can at least keep his fitness, um, his cardio fitness. But this 123.5 points per possessions is the most Michigan has given up all year. And... Uh, the, the last time they gave up more points than this was when they lost to Purdue and gave up uh, 1.41 points for possession on January 25th. So we talked about the, the Big East, the um, ACC, and the SEC titles now, uh, the regular season championship contention, and now in the Big Ten, Michigan State and Purdue are now projected to go 16-4. Um, and four. Uh, Michigan State's 14-3, and three, Purdue's 13-3, and three, and then Michigan's projected to go 15-5. and five. They do get a chance to uh, go to Michigan State at the end of the season on March 9th. That's really the last day of the regular season for for major conferences. Um, and before that, Michigan will play home against Nebraska. And at Maryland, uh, Michigan State obviously has that game at home against Michigan and will play at a struggling Indiana team and home against a struggling Nebraska team. Um, Michigan State uh, lost to Indiana earlier this year at home, so this is the rematch of that. And then Purdue, uh, which has the win over Michigan State. Um, oh, actually, they split. Uh, Purdue won at Michigan State, uh, lost uh, at Michigan State and won at home against Michigan State. Uh, they play home to Illinois, home to Ohio State, at Minnesota, and at Northwestern, um, which is an interesting schedule. No really great teams or really bad teams in there. Uh, even Northwestern at, on the road is, is not a super easy game, as Wisconsin found out yesterday, although Wisconsin still won. Um so how would you you think it's going to be uh, Michigan State? Uh, I think Michigan State is playing well. They're peaking at the right time. Uh, Purdue obviously has kind of been slept on the entire year by a lot of people, and I wouldn't count them out. Michigan State first in the conference in conference play in effective field goal percentage on offense and first in effective field goal percentage on defense. They're a very good inside team. They force you to take the shots they want you to take. They rebound the ball very well. They're number one in offensive rebound percentage. They're first in two-point field goal percentage. They don't shoot the three that well, but that's fine. Um, I like Michigan State, especially now that they get the home game against uh, Michigan to end the season. Indiana is a complete, utter disaster right now. Uh, <laughs> they lost a close game to Purdue, 48-46, which I did not watch, and I cannot be cannot say I'm happy. I cannot say I'm unhappy. I missed that. How many negatives there? I'm happy I missed that game because it was obviously <laughs> terrible. 48-46, Michigan-Indiana yeah. game, the throwback in the Hoosier State. Um, so. 
Yeah, they've also. Yeah, I, I want to talk about a little bit about uh, a couple yeah. of these Indiana games, yeah. actually. Sorry. Uh, so, yeah, let's do it. Uh, first off, Indiana also played Iowa um, <laughs> and lost 76 to 70 on Friday. So, uh, Jordan Bohannon had some huge shots in that game for Iowa. Joe Wieskamp has been making ridiculous shots. Uh, we mentioned that Iowa had a game winning shot against Rutgers last week. What I didn't mention because I hadn't seen it is what the nature of the shot was. There was a long pass down the court deflected by a Rutgers player. Joe Wieskamp gets it in the corner, shoots it immediately. The ball this is in the corner. So think about the, uh, what is it, it's geometry or it's like whatever, physics of this. I'm not really a science or math person, as you can tell. But he shoots the ball from the corner. It hits the backboard, the front of the backboard, just by shooting it in the corner, and swishes in. And Michigan and Iowa beats Rutgers. This is after Iowa had that ridiculous comeback against Northwestern to win. Um a couple weeks back uh, where they were down by like 12 points with maybe two minutes to go. It's not even an exaggeration. And it's, it's, uh, they also, so, and then they had the Indiana games. That's three ridiculous wins. Um, and they had a really close, good game against, uh, Maryland where they lost in between that, uh, that game, Maryland won by one. Maryland is the next team in the big 10 standings, by the way. But I, so, but the Purdue, uh, Indiana game, you know, Purdue Indiana is one of the great rivalries we have in college basketball. And, I got home from work and it was like 18 to 14 with like two minutes left in the first half. It was something. I guess I, should, I can just look it. It up. was 20 to 20 at halftime, by the way. It was definitely yeah. And coming out of the second half locker room, uh, suddenly Romeo Langford just starts vomiting. <laughs> he just they take him in the back and he's vomiting. And the sideline reporter went up to someone on the on the Indiana staff and said, "Oh, has he been sick?" And they're like, "No." Just watched the first half, and got, then he got sick. <laughs> we shouldn't have showed the tape of the first half at halftime. <laughs> showed a couple of plays. It was pretty bad, and he got <laughs> sick to his stomach and had to excuse himself. Uh, well, and it, Also, Matt Harms got called for a flagrant foul, which is a little bit weak, but it's good to see a flagrant foul on that rivalry. And then he had the game-winning tip-in, uh, and he also has some of the greatest reactions in college basketball. <laughs> if you haven't seen Matt Harms react to, how, to something he does in a game, you really need to tune in for that. Um, <laughs> Because he, he he's from the uh, Netherlands, I, I think yeah Amsterdam. He's from Amsterdam. I, I, that doesn't mean that he should react that way. I just don't, I don't know. But like it's just it's notable. There aren't many players in college basketball who are as good as Matt Harms and from that country. Yeah. Um, and also there was a good article in the Athletic this week about the Purdue Indiana rivalry, um, which talked about the first times that Gene Cady's Purdue teams played um, Indiana's Bob Knight's Purdue uh, Indiana teams in or the early eighties. Is in in seventy nine eighty, the year that um, no, eighty eighty one. It was eighty eighty one, the year that Indiana won the title with Isaiah Thomas, and um, there was something that happened in the first game that Indiana won in Bloomington, where there, uh, someone took a cheap shot and Purdue was complaining, and um, and someone from the AD from Purdue complained, and so Bob Knight. Then on his coach's show, he said that he wanted to debate the AD about the play, <laughs> and the AD wouldn't show up. So he basically got a donkey and put a Purdue <laughs> helmet on the donkey and interviewed the donkey. Um, <laughs> anyway, I recommend that story from The Athletic. Um, it, the, the premise is that Gene Cady and Bob Knight now have like four or five different meetings around the state where they kind of just tell stories and compliment each other about a bunch of Purdue and Indiana fans show up. None of those are in Bloomington because Bob Knight refused to go back to the campus. He's uh, to call him petulant. Uh, you know, he's just he he's eighty years old and he's not he's, he's holding grudges. So yeah, 
but that story's interesting. The, the rivalry's interesting, but Purdue swept it this year, and that this win in Bloomington this week, uh, they now are, as we've said, uh, in really good shape to maybe get a share of the Big Ten title. Yeah, it should be an interesting end to the Big Ten season. The thing about stacking these games is now we have a really exciting three weeks left, especially when Michigan Michigan State play again, and Purdue right there in the mix. Very excited to see what happens. Yeah, well, my last topic is about the Southern Conference. Southern Conference has four really solid teams this year. Um, East Tennessee State, Wofford, Furman, and uh, Greensboro. And they all played each other this weekend, which was um, a nice to see, I guess, is what, how I would put it. Um, just to, I mean, it's not like a big stage. No one's really talking about it. But it's just it's kind of cool to see your, your really good teams play each other in one weekend. And they were good games as well. Um, they're the only four teams in the uh, Southern Conference in the top 140 in Ken Palm. But the league itself has actually gotten a lot better. If you look at the Ken Palm year-by-year rankings, the Southern Conference is 10th this year, which is the highest it's been in the entirety of the rankings. It's been a, And it was as low as 30th in 2014. It's gone from 30th in 2014 to 25th, 19th, 14th, 22nd last year, and now back up to 10th. And the, you know, the Southern Conference had its heyday kind of, well, actually it was a quite a good conference early on in the 50s and 60s. Uh, and there was, uh, let me look up like the 1960 Southern Conference because there were some big names in that conference. So just bear with me for just one second. Um, that's football. I don't want football. Come on, Google. Actually, yeah, listen to my you, voice. When you ever Google, yeah. whenever you Google like XX box score, you always get the football game, no matter what the matchup is. If you, yeah. you got to put in basketball, otherwise you're going to Yeah, get who... Who is Googling football box scores? Right now, I, I, yeah. Really, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, come on. Anyway. But it, in the um, Southern Conference then, Furman was there, just like they are now. But West Virginia, Virginia Tech, George Washington was in the conference. I think if you go even further back, they, they might have had like some really big names. Like 1950 Southern Conference. Whoa. This conference has 16 teams, including NC State, South Carolina, North Carolina, Virginia Tech, Wake Forest. Sounds a little bit like the ACC. They just... They just they broke off. Washington and Lee was in this conference too, in VMI. Both of so them. It sounds like, yeah, Washington and Lee. <laughs> yeah. um, man, we had a lot of Civil War references in this uh, in this podcast. Yeah. yeah, and we haven't even talked about the Oregon Oregon State football game. Oh, there we did. Boom. Yeah, just did it. Um, so uh, anyway, the point is, Southern Conference, despite um, losing a lot of good teams, not just from the fifties and sixties, but also even from say. When, when Steph Curry was in the Southern Conference at Davidson, Davidson was in the league, and Georgia Southern and College of Charleston were all in the league, and those are three really good programs who have left for other conferences. Davidson's in the A-10, Georgia Southern's in the Sun Belt, and College of Charleston is in the uh, the Colonial Conference, and yet all three of those conferences are rated behind the Southern Conference right now in Ken Palm. So credit to them. This week, uh, Wofford on Saturday played Furman, won by eight. They're now 16-0 and in conference. Um, they haven't lost since December 19th, and they're 26 and four overall. In the other big game of the weekend, um, UNC Greensboro beat Eastern Tennessee State by one. UNC Greensboro is now, is now 13 and three in conference under Wes Miller, former North Carolina player and one of the hot coaching names in the business. Um, and and now UNC Greensboro is in second place in the conference. Not a likely NCAA tournament team. The other teams, Furman and East Tennessee State, probably had better. Chances it probably would have behooved the Southern Conference if Furman had beaten Wofford because they obviously have that Villanova win already. They also beat Loyola on the road, which is not obviously as good a win as it looked like at the time. But um, anyway, Southern Conference. Yeah, that's, Wofford. That's all I got. Yeah. Wofford nineteenth in the net ahead of Kansas, which is twentieth. We'll get to Kansas in a second. 
and you think that what, what you know people would be surprised to know that the Southern Conference's second ranked team, Furman, is higher than the Pac-12 second ranked team in uh, the net ranking. Uh, so yeah, that is a good conference. And who would have thought that the Kansas Wofford game uh, back in whenever that game was, I think November or December, would be a good win for Kansas when they won by 25 at home. So yeah, credit to Matt Norlander who like was calling out North Carolina's schedule before the season started and saying their win over Wofford would be a quad one win and was roundly mocked by Gary Parish. But yeah. Wofford is definitely a quad one win. Yeah, especially at Wofford. Twenty six and Ken Palm and Kansas beat him by uh, twenty five points. So yeah, uh, Southern Conference dangerous team, yeah. dangerous league. Yeah, I do want to mention some of their players. I know we've mentioned uh, some of the teams, but uh, Cameron Jackson and Fletcher McGee an amazing combination at Wofford. Cameron Jackson is the Ken Palm player of the year choice. Six, eight forward who uh, just dominates inside. Good shot blocker. He has to get a lot. He's also third in the Southern conference and steals number four in both offensive defensive rebounding. Uh, it's a really good player in his fifth year at Wofford because I guess he got a redshirt year in his first sophomore season. He played in six games, but uh, was probably injured. Uh, yeah. Samford also down a bad team. Um, I know that they're only 16 and 13, but uh, they're actually kind of dangerous as well. And they play Furman and Wofford the last week of the season, so something to watch for. Teams going down to uh, Birmingham might have a, a tough time this weekend. It could really hurt the Southern Conference chance in the second at large at a second bid if Furman or Wofford drops a game at Southern, coached by Scott Paget. Not to be confused with David Paget. Right. Scott Paget um, was a, I believe, a former. Um, Kentucky player. So let me look this up. Scott Paget. Yeah, there he is. Scott Paget from Louisville, Kentucky. He uh I think he was on the 96 uh He was. Those plucky those plucky underdogs that use the full court press to win a national title and does validated Malcolm Gladwell's article about it. Yeah, shout out to Outliers. Um <laughs> Okay, let's, let's move on to the Big 12, which is yes. really interesting, although I'm sure you want to, want to talk about it too much. Well, we can talk about it. Kansas went to Texas Tech last night. Um, I was out to dinner. I saw the score, and I saw it was ugly and looked away. Uh, Kansas lost by 29 points, and they are really in the soup, as you say, as far as winning the Big 12 title. They will need wins and some help now to catch Texas Tech. Uh, this game was basically a turnabout of the game earlier in Lawrence, where Kansas shot very well from three. Texas Tech and route to a 91-62 win, shot 16 of 26 from outside and scored 1.49 points per possession against the Bill Self team, which is hard to believe. Jared Culver was 3 of 8 from outside, had 26 points. Um, Moretti had 3 for 4 from outside. He had 11 points. Matt Mooney, 3 for 4 from outside, 13 points. They really shot well from outside. They had a couple guys off the bench. Uh, Brandon Francis shoot 3 for 4. From outside. Did they have any last-second shots by walk-ons this week? Uh, I did not see that. No, I was not watching this game to the bitter end. Uh, of course, yeah, I, I, I saw the score originally. It was 45-20 to 20 Texas Tech. I was yeah, like, whoa. it was not good. It was over from the get-go. Uh, Kansas never led, and at one point it was 83-50. Um, so here we have Texas Tech right now in a dogfight for the Big 12 title. You also got Kansas State, which has to go to Kansas tomorrow on Big Monday. Um, so really the Big 12 is up for grabs, but Kansas State and Texas Tech are probably going to share the title, or at least one of them is going to get a good shot at the title. They're projected to go 13-5. Kansas is supposed to go now 12-6. Kansas does not have the worst schedule remaining, but there are four games left. Uh, they are home to Kansas State at Oklahoma State. 
uh, at Oklahoma, both winnable games and home to Baylor, whom they almost always beat. Um, so they're, they're, I mean, the Oklahoma game is a 50 point game on Ken Palm. So they're really only projected to lose one more game, but that's, they basically need to win out and get some help. Obviously they need to beat Kansas state uh, to have any shot at the big 12 title. Um, the other teams that are vying for it, uh, Kansas state is at KU home to Baylor at TCU versus Oklahoma, which got a big win over the weekend. Mm. And Texas tech is home to Oklahoma state at TCU home versus Texas at Iowa state, Iowa state, another confusing team in that league. So really, it's just a minefield, that Big 12 schedule. Um, Kansas is so banged up, and just w- without LeGerald Vick for personal reasons, this is just not. This has not been a good 12 months for the Kansas program between the FBI case, between um, the Azubuke injury, uh, between the D'Souza case, um, and it's not their year. We wondered when it would come. It's funny that it's coming when they were ranked number one in the country in the preseason AP poll, uh, but we may be seeing the end of the Big 12 run. Though never, it's never over till it's over. Uh, but this is not Kansas's best team. They really had some guards fall flat. Um, but credit to Texas Tech and Chris Beard, who basically took a team that had almost no one back from last year and made it into a Big 12 title contender in a really tough league. And credit to Bruce Weber, another Kansas, uh, the Kansas State team, a team that made it to the Elite Eight last year and really could have gone to the Final Four. I said they got some breaks en route to that uh, regional final, and I thought that this, they would take a step back this year, and they have done quite the opposite. So credit to Bruce Weber and Kansas State. Bruce Weber, again, I've said it on the show before, but it's been almost run out of town in Manhattan, Kansas, and now has his team on the cusp of a big 12 title. Imagine how sweet it would be for Kansas State if they won in Lawrence, swept the Jayhawks tomorrow and for the season, basically on Monday, and uh, basically all but assures themselves of uh, winning the big 12 title. That would be pretty impressive. Yeah. Um, Kansas State had a... 39-point win at home against Oklahoma State. I mean, they did have an easy week. They played Oklahoma State in West Virginia. It was a good kind of break week before those that four-game gauntlet you mentioned. Um, they're f- now fourth in the in the Big 12 in offense, and Texas Tech is fifth in the Big 12 in offense. So as bad as those offenses were earlier in the season, they're now in the top half of the conference. Uh, Kansas is actually being outscored in conference play. Um, they are scoring 1.03 points per possession, and they're allowing... 1.0. Uh, no, I'm wrong. Never mind. They're not being outscored. They're plus two, but uh, it feels close, that way. It, just, it feels, yeah. So, so um, yeah, Texas Tech is a weird team because they have kind of, they look very, very suspect offensively for a long period of time. They lost three in a row. Uh, they barely won at home against Arkansas. And then they, and then after beating TCU at home, they in a game that I watched some of, and they were pretty impressive. They got blown out at Kansas, and suddenly they were five and four in conference, seventeen and five overall. And you're like, is this team really good? They were kind of the best team that wasn't a true national title contender, and then you're like, maybe not. Maybe they're not that good. And then they won five straight. Um, you know, the biggest one being this Kansas one on the road and at Oklahoma. Also, they beat one at home against Baylor by. 25. They've been at some blowouts. Like if you look at the, the this last five games, they've they beat West Virginia by 31. They beat Oklahoma by 12 on the road. 28 point win at Oklahoma State. 25 point win again at home against Baylor, and tw- and 29 point win at home against Kansas. I bet you there's not a major conference team that has won five in a row with a combined margin like Texas Tech. Oh, definitely uh, not. Maybe, Maybe not not even a non-Gonzaga team. And even Gonzaga, they had a couple of close wins in the stretch. They might not even have one. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, the Big 12 is, is constantly compelling to me. Uh, it does look like this is finally the year that, well, I won't say that quite yet because 
Kansas could definitely beat Kansas State on Monday. And if that happens, then Kansas is only a game back of K-State, and it just takes a one-game difference for that to happen. They still would be a game back of Texas Tech, but again, except for this home game against Oklahoma State, they have three losable games on the stretch, especially for a team that's not good on offense. You go at TCU, home to Texas, and at Iowa State, you could win. You could lose a couple of those games. But it is going to take some things going a different way than we'd expect for now for Kansas to win the Big 12 title. And that's not your UGR this late in the season. Usually by February 24th, all of the kind of, oh, could someone beat Kansas? Could someone knock them off has ended because the Jayhawks have just won enough and the other teams have taken some bad losses. Yeah, it's usually theirs to lose by this point and now they are watching and hoping for help from other teams. Yeah. Um, a couple more things just to mention briefly before we move on to uh, No Homers Club is Nevada lost. So we talked about Nevada for a long time um, last week and whether they what they should be seeded, how good were they actually. I think this second loss um, at San Diego State really um, changes the equation a little bit. Uh, they're now they're now twenty five and two. The second loss actually is, I think is a pretty big difference. One game can be an aberration, but now an, another loss is a little bit different. And um, and again, they only have one top fifty win, an A win, uh, uh, um, according to Ken Palm, the whole season. Uh, they have another opportunity coming up this week. We'll talk about later against Utah State. But I think it's a big big loss for them. And I think we need to do kind of a weekly Gonzaga update because this team is ridiculous. Uh, Gonzaga won uh, two more games this week. Um, the first one was over Pepperdine by 28, and then they beat uh, a pretty decent BYU team at home by 34, scoring 102 points. In conference, they are scoring 1.27 points per possession and allowing 0.85. That's 0.42 points per possession margin per possession. So that means basically every five possessions – they're outscoring you by two points. And so in a 60-possession game or a 70-possession game, that would be 28 points, which is basically what they're winning by on average this season. Um, it's, their offense is ridiculous. I just recommend checking out the Jordan Sperber uh, video. That's uh, Hoop Vision on their offense. Um, Brandon Clark might be one of the most underrated players in the country. He probably should be a first-team All-American, but he won't be. <laughs> and he's a ridiculous defensive player and super efficient on offense. Uh, yeah, so I, we won't talk anymore unless there's anything else you want to talk about when it comes to what we've seen in the past. Otherwise, we can move on to uh, the mediocrity slash embarrassment of most of our teams we've been rooting for the last week. Just two other shout-outs. Bucknell dropped 118 on Lafayette today. Scored 1.57 points per possession in, in regulation. So 118.76. Just throwing that out there. And also... Nevada, the other thing is they almost they were losing to Fresno State with about five minutes ago in the second half last night, Saturday. So they have not looked too good and not very impressive and uh, probably were a little overrated entering the season and haven't exactly had a tough schedule, as you said. So yeah. And I realize we haven't talked about the Pac-12 at all. I did mention the UCLA-Oregon State game only in the conference, the context of my friend going to see the game. Um, Washington is 13-1. and one. Arizona State is 9-5. and five. They, um, they had... They have a big game tonight. Well, not not really. They're playing Cal tonight. It's not a big game. But um, I I want to say like if you are interested in the Pac-12, listen to the Campom podcast. Yeah, both those guys are from like Utah. They like talking about the Pac-12. They're gonna they find it fascinating. This terrible basketball. <laughs> Me, I prefer to watch not terrible basketball except for Providence and <laughs> Yeah. Speaking of which, I mean we <laughs> I covered the Kansas part, so we're done there with the No Homer Club. Uh, 
Yes, but yeah. you can. You want to, You want me to do Columbia first, and then you want to go on your tale of well, or you want to do? What do you want to do? Yeah, it's good. It's good. I'm going to be short, so yeah. go yeah. for I'm Columbia. I'm going to be pretty short too. Columbia, big win against Penn at the Palestra. It doesn't happen that often. They followed it up on Saturday with a loss to Princeton at Jadwin Gymnasium, where they almost always lose. But they won at Penn in overtime. They trailed by five with like a minute three left in overtime and won 79-77. Really big win for Columbia, just as far as getting the morale up. They're still in last place in the Ivy League, I believe, at two. Tied and, for last. Tied yeah. for last with Dartmouth at two and eight. Uh, Penn, that is not a good loss for them. You're trying to get into the Ivy League tournament, which is the first four teams, and right now they are uh, four and six, which is a game behind Brown and Cornell, which are tied at five and five. They're projected to go six and eight. Uh, Yale, as we've talked about, is the class of this league, eight and two, a game up on Harvard. Um, so Columbia reduced, as always, to playing spoiler. Maybe one year they'll play in the Packed uh, Ivy League tournament. I believe this is the third year of it. The third one, and yeah. they have not played in the tournament yet. So they almost made it two years ago, but they then finished uh, sixth last year at five and nine, and let this year obviously they're not going to make it. So maybe next year. Um, that's that, and we talked about Kansas. So I'm done. Go on to Providence and North. Well, Virginia. another team I grew up rooting for that actually had a good weekend in the Ivy League is Brown. Yeah. Uh, Brown uh, won two straight. They beat Harvard by nine at home and Dartmouth by three at home. And they are now five and five um, and are in position to be that fourth team that makes the Ivy League tournament. But Yale had a tough loss to Harvard, but Yale, Harvard, and Princeton, I wouldn't say they've locked it up. Well, they basically locked it up, uh, locked spots in the, in, in the uh, Ivy League tournament. But that fourth spot is really Brown, Cornell, Penn for the, for the last spot, and Brown now has, is in the driver's seat with the five and five record. Um, so good for Mike Martin, who's been there a while and has had – He's had basically non-embarrassing teams for the most part, but um, well, I can't really say that. The last four years they've gone four and ten, three and eleven, four and yeah. ten, and four and ten. It feels like they haven't been ridiculously bad, but they also haven't been good. And this is a, this year this is best team clearly, and they might make the uh, Ivy League tournament. Uh, in terms of uh, Providence, we talked about the St. John's game. They played actually quite well. Pro- uh, St. John's played really, really poorly, but Providence took advantage and hit some good shots and played good defense and. And then against Marquette, they had a really quick start, um, and then they couldn't score for a very long period of time. Um, and then the second half, Marquette actually uh, scored, played, played pretty good offense the first half of that half. Uh, Sam Hauser was great. Um, it's weird because Providence is a very physical team. Um, you know, put a little chippy, they, they kind of try to batter you, but yeah, they're not very big. And so a team like Marquette that has um, Joey Hauser and Sam Hauser and Theo John. Uh, and Ed Morrow, they can kind of bully you. And so Providence, when they're running lineups out there, their five most common players on the court yesterday are 6'7", 6'10", 6'5", 6'3", 6'6". So that means your power forward is really a guard in Alpha Diallo at 6'7". He's going to have to guard guys like Sam Hauser or Joey Hauser. And um, Marquette was able to get things done in the paint because of that. Um, yeah, I, Providence's defense has been a little bit worse the last few weeks, and when your defense is a little bit worse and your offense has not get, gotten better, that's a problem. Uh, Northwestern actually played a little bit better over the weekend against uh, Wisconsin. You know, who wants? No one's even talking about Northwestern. Yeah. They've now lost uh, eight straight games. <laughs> they I think they're in the same poor. league as Indiana. Or good thing for Indiana, they're in the same league as Northwestern, I guess. Yeah, Northwestern's offense, like Providence's offense, like has been for almost the whole season, is dead last. Their defense is seventh. Um, Northwestern lost. They played very poorly in losing and scoring 49 points at Ohio State, but they played better. Only lost by five at home to Wisconsin. Um, actually played pretty decent offense, scored a point per possession, but it wasn't enough. Um, 
even though Vic Law was the MVP, according to Ken Palm, he had 24 points, uh, four rebounds, six assists, uh, and two blocks. Uh, Ethan Happ had 14. Brad Davison had 16. We, haven't talked, we had a spell there. We were talking about Wisconsin every week, it felt like. We talked about them for a while. Um, but they are still winning. They're 11-5, 19-8 overall. And uh, they have won 8 of 10. Their only losses in that stretch were at Michigan and at home against Michigan State. So yeah, that's all I got. All right, cool. Let's go to correspondence. Mm-hmm. We had a, another reach out from the uh, would-be assassin. Uh, I had an in-depth email. We're going to read just the best parts of it. But I think it comes to... The, uh, it was all good. The whole thing was good. But yeah. even in the tiers of good, there you can evaluate and like put certain things higher. So the whole thing, every word, every jot and tittle was was superb. But at the same time, we're picking out the, just the juicy bit, juiciest bits, the most marbled parts of the meat here. Of course. And the, the would-be assassin has followed up when we read emails and said, I didn't think you were going to read every word. So now we're trying to basically obey his wishes and not read every word. But basically, the, the argument in this email here is, should uh, the question is, we talked about this a little last week, but should the NCAA selection committee reward the mid-majors uh, more this year and like if they're going to go around and, and they're going to have you know teams at large where sh- where how should the breakdown of the at large teams be especially when these leagues are so bad this year the major conference leagues so bad and he's talked about how the big six had 23 at large bids in 2014 to 26 so the rich are getting richer basically and he says at the end what i guess i'm saying is stop redistributing the wealth to the wealthy if the a10 is down same with the Missouri Valley, etc. The big six don't have to be the only ones to benefit. Instead, share the mid-major love with conferences that haven't gotten much attention recently. Of all years, this is the one to do it with legitimate two-bit opportunities from the MWC, the OVC, and the SOCON. We talked about the SOCON. Obviously, we talked Lipscomb. They had, this was sent before Lipscomb lost to Florida Gulf Coast, so the would-be assassin is still right on the money. Um, but I tend to agree. I think that why do we need to get these teams on the bubble to be coming from the major conference teams. I think part of it is the first four. They want that to be kind of like a juicy tip-off to the tournament, and you're not going to get people to tune in if you have smaller conference teams playing those 11 and 12 bubble games. But honestly, it's better. I don't really need to see mediocre or worse major conference teams playing. Give these teams that are good all year. I'd much rather, you know, if Buffalo somehow loses, I think they're going to get in even if they lose in the conference tournament. But some of these other teams, just give them a shot. It's a better story anyway. And we've seen teams time and time again prove they can go deep in the tournament. Uh, the VCUs of the world. So I agree with the would-be assassin. Are we sure what the would-be assassin is not Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez? This uh, (laughs) redistribution of the wealth and everything? I don't know what's going on here. Uh, This has been a highly political show, i got to say. Well, you know, I guess the question is who. Like, it's always always good in principle. It's like, this should happen. The question, though, is who. Like, So here are the last ten teams... In the bracket matrix and the first let's eight teams that are out so uh, let me count back one two three four five six seven eight nine so the last ten teams if you uh tcu uh, it is more than ten but the tcu north carolina state vcu is an automatic technically uh florida minnesota arizona state central florida seton hall clemson temple alabama and then they also have belmont and lipscomb and then the first four and next four out Utah State, Butler, Georgetown, Furman, Nebraska, St. Mary's, Davidson, Toledo. That seems like a pretty good mix of uh, of mid-major teams. Now, of course, if indeed the first four and next four out are basically um, six, five mid-majors, two teams from the Big East, and Nebraska, and that's the, and then people be like, well, and you put in who? And the last teams in are Alabama and Clemson and Arizona State and Minnesota. Like, I guess that that would be. Uh, <laughs> 
that would be problematic. Uh, but we'll see what actually happens. It, it's just, it, the, the quandary is always when you evaluate teams based on their, the quality of wins in their schedule. Because, like, what can Furman do? Like, Furman, they, well, they could have beaten Wofford, and they didn't. Right. But now they have, they, they have very few chances to, to do that, and they play Wofford and they lost. Like, St. Mary's, what can they do? Well, they could win at Gonzaga, but, I mean, what are the odds of that happening? Toledo, what could they do? Well, they could have beaten Buffalo. They got swept. But there's just there's only those opportunities. Like, you look at Xavier, they were, like, in nowhere to be found. Or Providence, like, nowhere to be found. The Providence wins, sweeps St. John's, even though they lost to DePaul and they got swept by Georgetown. They, they actually are, like, under consideration. Xavier doesn't be anyone at a conference, and they have a stretch of four or five wins in a row, including decent, solid wins against Villanova and Seton Hall, and they might be in the conversation now. It's a, it just seems like there's a lot less you need to do because you have a lot more chances to show something because no one – you get no credit at all from, for beating the 250th best team in the country by 20 points. That's the only downside in that game. And until we can balance – we can make that game meaningful in a positive way potentially for a mid-major team – there's very little we, that we can be done. I, I think we're going to see the same thing this year. Maybe there's a few more that get in. Maybe we, you know, but really, is Temple and Central Central Florida the teams we're talking about in here? Like, is the mid majors to get in? Um, I, I I don't know. I, it's hard for me to say until we get to that point and see the actual teams. But you know, I don't know. Is Alabama better than Utah State? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it's tough. I think the bubble, as the bubble becomes clear, what teams are there, it'll be better to see and it'll be easier to see. The net has some teams floating out there, and I and the would-be assassin also asked about if the and I've said this before that the I think the net will have a higher rating, a higher impact on it just because it's the first year. And he did ask about that. Well, the committee this year trusts the net, which identified a few a few high-performing schools from non-traditional conferences to reward. Will it continue its trend from the last few years and veer toward the additional schools from the big conferences? So that's a big question. I think we'll see all things being equal. I think they'll take the higher net team from the smaller conference just to show how much they like it, but we'll see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think what this will be my last word on this. Ultimately, the way, like, if you believe that it's inequitable right now that what's happening with so many of the top six leagues getting so many of the bids, even in a year where the Big East is down and the Pac-12 is way down. The only way that changes is if the way schools, teams are evaluated changes. Under the current evaluation system, which values quality wins and downgrades you for bad losses, a mid-major is always going to be a disadvantage, even if two teams are by and large equal. Similar nets, similar Ken Poms. Generally speaking, unless the the mid-major team avoids all the bad losses. They're not going to have as many good wins, and ultimately that's going to be what marks them down. Like You look like a team like Monmouth a few years ago. Um, we had so many good wins early in the season and, and played fairly well in the actual uh, conference schedule, but ultimately took some bad losses in the Metro Atlantic, which is a conference that has a bunch of like not terrible teams but not a lot of really good teams. So you look at – let's look at um, – at Monmouth this year. Well, actually, they didn't even take any bad luck. This is actually a little bit crazy looking at this. Monmouth 2016-2017. They went 27-6, and six, and they had wins over Memphis and Princeton. They had a narrow loss uh, to, at South Carolina. I believe that was year South Carolina went to the Final Four. Um, but, then, and they had a, but then in conference, they dropped an uh, overtime game to Ryder, and they lost in the semifinals of the conference tournament to Siena. And they end up not making it, despite having 27 wins and six losses. Um, 
they're, they're, Ken Palm is 81. They probably weren't one of the best teams, but they were an exciting team that year. Many people thought they should have made it. But you look at it, and it's like, where are their quality wins? Like, they're, they had no A wins. They had three B wins. How do you put that team in, even though they had 27 wins? Like, what else could they have done? They could have beaten South Carolina or Syracuse. They didn't. But they have very few opportunities. Like, it's if I, like I don't know the solution to the problem right now, but there are there are means. There's like quality of record, strength of record measures out there that I think are a little bit fairer. But ultimately, I don't think it's going to move the needle by more than like a team or two. Yeah, I think you're right. I think we'll see. It's all going to be gradual, and it's at some other time we can get into wins above bubble and all that other stuff for teams as we another way of evaluating metrics. Uh, evaluating teams to see who should get in the tournament and who won't. But again, it's just tough because you're judging teams based on like two totally different opportunities of what they can do. And one team has marched forever and one team doesn't. Is it fair? Is it not fair? Who knows? It's it's very tricky. It's not super easy. But I'm all for, I think it's a better tournament if you have fewer, if you take all things being equal, the, non, the non-mid-major, sorry, the non-major conference team over the major conference team. Let's move on to picks. Yeah, uh, by the way, uh, we we added up all the picks from the year. We uh, last week, Brendan, by the way, yeah. Last week I was eight and four. Tom was five and seven. I gained yeah. three games. Yeah. Um, there were five games that we disagreed on. Uh, I got four of them right, and Tom got the North Carolina Duke game right. Um, and now, after a hundred and fifty-eight games selected, if my math—really not my math—my counting is correct, Tom is only six games up on me. So I, okay. I say only because I, I think if probably I would I was like 20 games out at one point. Because yeah, you had a bad been, start I've, for the year. I've been doing better than Tom like maybe three or four straight weeks, and I'm still six games back. But he's yeah. 80, 75, and three. I'm 74, 81, and three. And I have a, basically this week and next week, at least in the regular season, to come back and, and try to nab uh, at death's door the, um, the title here. So we have 12 more games to pick, starting with um, a big game. In Lawrence, Kansas, where the Jayhawks are a four-point favorite over Kansas State. Yeah, beware the fog. I think they'll win this game. I think that this is desperation time for Kansas. Obviously, you would have thought it was that way at Texas Tech. It wasn't, but this time I think they'll get it done at home. Um, they rarely lose at home, and I think the I'll give them give me the give me them minus four. Okay, I'm actually going go with Kansas as well. I don't feel great about it, but um, Kansas State winning at Kansas in a game where Kansas came up a really bad loss, it just doesn't feel like a good recipe uh, for a win. On Tuesday, we have a couple good games. Uh, Duke is at Virginia Tech, favored by three. And Ohio State, favored by two, um, is playing those cardiac kids from Iowa. What do you think? Uh, Give me Duke against Virginia Tech, uh, playing for the first time this year. I like Duke. I think uh, even if Zion doesn't play, they'll still be too dangerous inside uh, for them. And then the other game, give me um, Iowa against Ohio State. Ohio State coming off a loss to Maryland, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. So give me uh, Iowa getting two on the road there. Yeah, I'm going to go with Ohio State. I'm, I'm going to go with Duke, but I'm going to go with Ohio State. Um, Iowa's been kind of living on the edge. Um Ohio State hasn't been great either of late. They've lost, I think, three or four. But uh, I'm going to give a slight edge to Ohio State at home. Um, Shots might not fall for Iowa. Um, The Buckeyes did play pretty well against Northwestern last week. Um, In the bracket matrix, in case you're interested, um, Iowa right now, um, as of today, is a seven. And Ohio State is, 
I'm having trouble with the searching. Okay, here we go. <laughs> Iowa State's a 10. So this could be a 7-10. It's yeah, the equivalent the of like a 7-10 game. game. Yeah, yeah, the old 7-10 game. game. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, when, this is probably one of the best Wednesdays we've had of the season because we've had a lot of dud Wednesdays, which usually is a big the big weekday game, weekday day of college basketball. But we have three good games this week. One a little bit under the radar good that we'll talk about from the Big Ten, but Tennessee, five-point favorite at Mississippi. Villanova, three-point favorite at home against Marquette. And Maryland, a two-point favorite at Penn State. Yeah. Uh, Tennessee, I like. Give me them because I think they'll bounce back. And Mississippi uh, is not as – I don't know. Just I like Tennessee to bounce back from that loss. Um, I cannot pick Villanova right now. They're just playing. They're so out of sorts. I'm going to take Marquette on the road. Marquette's probably the best team in the Big East. Um, and then I will take – Maryland on the road against Penn State. I know Penn State has been frisky. They beat Michigan. They got John Beeline ejected. Uh, they're, you know, everyone's like, how can Michigan lose to Penn State? Well, the Big Ten has some. Penn State's decent, but I still like Maryland on the road. Yeah, Penn State's won four of six, uh, including both games last week. They won at home by 24 over Nebraska, and they won at a previously red hot Illinois team by seven. Um, and. And they're rated 47th in the in the in Ken Palm. If the results had gone a little bit differently, different times of the year, they would be an NCAA tournament team. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, with Penn State. Um, so I'm kind of working backwards here. I'm also going to go with Marquette. Um, obviously, if Villanova shoots as well as they did in the last home game they played, which is against Providence, they could. Ah, uh, no, I'm going to go with Villanova. Changing. Wow, yeah, changing. Yeah, yeah. yeah going. I, Marquette's definitely the better team right now, but at home. Villanova coming off of several bad performances in a row. Um, they have a few days to recover until Wednesday night. It's a, it's a late game, a later game on Wednesday, I believe, uh, like an eight thirty or nine o'clock start. Um, and so I'm going to go with Mar uh, Villanova. Uh, Saturday we got four interesting games that we we picked out here, including a couple of mid-major games. Uh, trying to throw some love that way. Tennessee favored by two over Kentucky at home. Texas favored by one. At home against Iowa State, and North Carolina favored by five at home against Clemson. Before we get to the two mid-major games, what do you think about Tennessee, Kentucky, Texas, Iowa State, and North Carolina, Clemson? It's tough for me to pick Tennessee against Kentucky after Kentucky just blew the doors off them just uh, eight days ago. Um, I know Reed Travis is out; he was healthy in that game, but PJ Washington is playing so well. Tennessee's lack of depth, I think, is getting exposed. So give me Kentucky in that game. Uh, Texas, I don't trust at all, so I'll take Iowa State. Even though they're both enigmatic teams, I think Iowa State's the better of the two enigmatic teams, so I'll take them. Uh, North Carolina, I've been really impressed with. Uh, I know this is a road game, a tough environment, but they are definitely going in the right direction. Um, so even giving five on the road, I'll take them there. And uh, I think that covered all the the non-major yeah. games. Yeah. Okay. Good. Oh, Kentucky, Tennessee, it's a tough one. I gotta say, if I'm gonna make a comeback here, I, I think I gotta pick Tennessee in this one. Um, it's a big week for the Vols. I already picked them. We both picked them against Mississippi, and oh, Tennessee at home against Kentucky by two. Oof. Oof. Yeah. No, I'm I'm gonna pick Kentucky. That's who I think is actually gonna win that game. I'll pick who I think is gonna win. I'm not gonna just pick it for the sake of maybe knocking you off. I'm taking Iowa State also. <laughs> okay. Um, and I'm gonna, but I'm going to take Clemson to cover that five-point spread against North Carolina. Clemson, if you're looking at your bracket matrix, is a 12 seed and the third-to-last team in the tournament. See you in Dayton. In terms of, yeah. Uh, so in Dayton right now, it could be Seton Hall, Alabama, which would be a rematch of a game. Uh, 
Seneau, Alabama. Uh, Seneau played Arkansas. So Seneau, Alabama, Dayton, uh, in Dayton and Clemson Temple would be interesting. I, I would, I'd watch those games, I guess. I think Arizona I mean, State's kind of... still going to be in Dayton. I think the Pac-12 yeah. is going to get that second team in and send them to Dayton. Yeah, just like Arizona State was last year when they lost to uh, St. Bonaventure. I, no, it was St. Bonaventure. Yeah, they lost St. Bonaventure. They had two teams in Dayton last year. UCLA was there as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, the two mid-major games of note we want to talk about. Uh, first in, um, I believe it's Ogden, Utah. Is that right? Or Logan, Utah, where Utah State is. You know? Uh, I think Utah it's State. Ogden, but let's check. That's one of the great things about Ken Palm is that it has every, uh, it has all the good stuff on there. Um, does it? Actually, no. It's it's the D. D Glenn Smith Spectrum is their home mm-hmm. uh, arena, mm-hmm. and then now we have he links to Google Maps, so we're getting there. Mm-hmm. This is in. Zoom out. Uh, Logan, Utah. You were correct. Okay, good. Yeah. On their actual page, on the team page, it has the, the location. By the Not way, an, yeah. D. Glenn Smith Spectrum has 4.5 out of 5 stars on Google Maps. 227 reviews. Just mm-hmm. so you know. Okay. Anyway, yeah. And Utah um, State University is described as a scenic research school founded in 1888. 4.3 stars. So the arena outreach <laughs> the university. <laughs> anyway, yeah. this podcast has gone on long enough. <laughs> <laughs> Utah State is at home against Nevada. They're favored by one. Gonzaga is going to St. Mary's, and the Bulldogs were by eight against the Gales. Yeah, give me uh, Nevada on the road. I think they'll bounce back from their rough week. And give me Gonzaga, who has played St. Mary's this year. But it just looks so good this right now. I cannot pick against Gonzaga, even on the road. So I think Gonzaga, they're very dangerous. I know people like to poo-poo them. But you were poo pooing them. I was. You've been poo I know. Them. I don't. I think they're they're people be very... like to poo poo them. <laughs> yeah, I know. I Tom know. likes to poo poo them. <laughs> I know. I have poo pooed them. I think that <laughs> the field has come back a little bit, given the top of the, and again, Zagas played better. I've I, this has been three weeks now since I was ripping their defense. I still think their defense is a little suspect, but there's only so many yeah, blowouts you. you can watch in conference against decent teams before you get swayed a little bit. So I know people, including myself, have poo pooed them. But I'm ready. To, I'm, I'm getting ready to move them into their uh, the top tier. By the way, when they won this the first game, 94-46. So eight points seems a little. Uh, I know it's on the road, but yeah, eight, eight points seems a little low for a t- game where they scored outscored them 94-46 the first time. Uh, yeah, I'm going Gonzaga. Okay. Gonzaga is awesome. Their offense is ridiculous. Um, yeah, Gonzaga all the way. Utah State. Don't look now. If they beat Nevada, they might. Get a share or even an outright. Well, outright would be tough because they're already a game back in the last column, but at least a share of the Mountain West title. I'm going with Utah State. Sam Merrill is terrific. He, um, they have the best offense in the, um, the Mountain West behind the second best shooting and the best offensive rebounding. And that's uh, the offensive rebounding is led by Nemius Queta and Quinn Taylor. You're not going to hear those names on a lot of other podcasts. No, you're not. Sam, no, you're not. <laughs> and Sam Merrill is is a ridiculous player at the lead for them. He's the best non-Nevada player in the in the conference behind probably Caleb Martin and Jordan Caroline. Uh, these are probably, you'll probably see the four best players in the Mountain West. Check out this game because Nemius Queda is rated fourth by Ken Palm. I'm going to go with Utah State to win this game at home in Logan at D whatever, whatever, 4.5 rated uh, arena. Um, and then the last game of the week we have is out of the Big Ten on Sunday, presumably on CBS, the Network of Stars, America's most watched <laughs> network, the Tiffany Network, some would say, um, Michigan at Maryland in College Park. The Wolverines are favored by one. Yeah, give me the Wolverines. Um, I don't feel super confident in that one, but give me them anyway. 
Um, so yeah, that's uh, I like them. Uh, obviously, they've struggled a little bit of late, but um, they, they beat Maryland by 13 in the rematch on the first game on February 16th, if that date means anything to anybody, uh, by 13. So I'll take them on this game uh, in, uh, in a week's time. Yeah, I'm going to go Maryland. Right. You're, you're um, clearly, uh, this is going to either really work for you or really not work for you. I feel like there have been a couple games you're on the edge. Like, oh, I'll just pick opposite what I picked. So good luck I did with the op- that. I, I did the opposite of picking opposite once. I picked yeah. Kentucky when I was thinking about picking opposite. So Yeah, anyway. Yeah. Yeah, cool. We disagree on two, three, four, five, six of our 12 games. So you so, could be in first um, place yeah. or tied. for. You could be in first of two after this week. Yeah. Cool. Uh, yeah, I'm going with Maryland. Bruno Fernando. Uh, Anthony Cowan. I'm just going to name players in the team. Um, uh, J- Joe Smith, uh, Len Bias, um, Buzz, uh, Buck Williams, uh, Herb, uh, Walt Williams, actually. I think Walt Williams and Buck Williams went to Maryland. Is that possible? Did Buck Williams go to Maryland? Yeah. Uh, this is how we're ending the podcast, by yeah. me looking up. Is, that's, that's right, right? Buck Williams, Walt Williams, all the Williamses. Juan Dixon. Uh, Lefty Drizel. Drew Nicholas. Steve yeah. Blake. Yeah. You, Chris Wilcox. Lonnie Baxter. Yeah, all right, good. Okay. Maryland, my we're Maryland. Going, yeah, we're going with uh, with Maryland. The black-eyed oh, Susans. You are to knock off the. Uh, I am knock off Michigan, who's uh, a little bit suspect right now. I gotta say, um, they've they've had a kind of an up and down season. So we're going to go with Michigan, and then we're going to say goodbye to our podcast. Uh, remember, subscribe, rate, review, five stars or better. If there's a, a more than five, you can give. We'll take six, eight, twelve, whatever you want to. A, a prime number, eleven is fine too. Um, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play Music, Podbean, and um, hit us up on Twitter. Follow us. We'll tweet sometimes, not that often, but we'll tweet sometimes at Bella Bonus Pod. Um, email us great questions like the would be assassin slash Alexander Ocasio Cortez sometimes <laughs> emails us about uh, redistributing at large bids to the mid majors. Um, yeah, <laughs> uh, that's a dull bonus pod at gmail.com. You can also. Uh, Find our website, doublebonuspod.com. Any final words of wisdom from New York? No, enjoy the Oscars, which you will. everyone will have watched before this podcast goes up because I'm not going to edit it right away. So, But it will be up some point Sunday night to Monday morning, so probably late yeah. Monday. Enjoy the Oscars. Enjoy um, Arizona State and Cal tonight. <laughs> Got to watch that game. It's that's going to be that's a, gonna, a doozy. When, pe- when people wonder why the Oscar ratings are down, it's because that game went against it. So, <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Talk to everyone later. Talk to you next week. Hit us up. We we love you, our 20 listeners. We truly do. We spent an hour and 40 minutes talking to our 20 listeners, um, and we don't regret anything but the last eight seconds of it. Good night. We got a guy down. What is he doing? Look at an injured player and Valentine call the technical.